as they made their way into town, Ned told Fred that he was willing to bet $5 that John Wayne would be killed in the movie. Fred said he would take that bet. So they traveled down the road. Sure enough, the Duke was killed near the end of the movie. And Fred handed Ned $5. On the way home, Ned told Fred that he felt guilty for taking the money because he had seen the movie the week before. Fred just smiled and said, Nah, you just keep that money. I watched it last week too. But I didn't think them fellas would kill John Wayne twice. (laughs) Just like Ned and and Fred, uh, you and I have been given uh, insider information about the end of the world as we know it. We already know what's going to happen. We've seen the end of the movie, so to speak. And knowing how it all plays out should matter to us. Knowing the future should have an impact in our lives today. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. We are finishing up this this second letter by Peter. And if you recall, when we last looked at this letter, Peter spoke about the promised return of Christ and the judgment he will bring with him. However, the false teachers scoffed at that idea, denying it would ever happen. In essence, they said, you Christians have talked about the second coming for a long time, and he still hasn't come back yet. Since creation, things have always been the way they are right now, and they will stay that way. So get over it. Jesus isn't coming back. The false teachers mocked the truth about Christ's return, his judgment, and they distorted God's grace into a license to sin so they could follow after their own lusts. That really was their their true motivation, to do what they wanted to do. Well, Peter proved they were absolutely wrong in their claim. For since creation, things had changed, and the flood was his proof. Back in Noah's day, when the people least expected it, God judged the wicked world with water. The same water he had previously blessed them with. And Peter says, 
God will judge the world again. But this time with fire. It's going to happen according to God's timing. A timing that often appears slow to us. But thank God for that. Peter tells us that God is slow in his judgment, but with a purpose. And that purpose is to give those who will, to give time for those who will, to come to him and be saved. God waits for people to open their eyes, to see their need, and come to him for salvation. God is patient, and he does not want anyone to perish. However, the fact still remains that Jesus is coming back. So let's pick up where we left off. If you have your Bibles, turn to 2 Peter chapter 3, beginning with verse 10. 2 Peter, chapter 3, beginning with verse 10. Are you there? Okay. Peter says, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, in which the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat, and the earth and its works will be burned Okay, let's stop there. There is a lot in this verse that we need to flush out. This verse begins with the phrase, the day of the Lord, which seems, (laughs) at first it seems to be a fairly simple phrase in that Peter is describing final judgment of the earth by fire. However, I think there is more to it than that. First of all, the term day is not a 24-hour period like we would call a day, but rather it is used figuratively. Like we would say, back in Grandpa's day, people didn't use iPhones. Okay, does that make sense? In addition, there are several passages in the Bible about the day of the Lord. And sometimes they reference judgment against God's people. Sometimes they refer to judgment against foreign nations like the Babylonians. And there are other references surrounding end time events such as the return of Christ. For example, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1 and 2, the Apostle Paul tells us, Now we request you, brethren, with regard to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to Him, that you not be quickly shaken from your composure or be disturbed either by a spirit or by a message or a letter as if it was from us 
to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. So generally speaking, the day of the Lord refers to a period of time where God intervenes in human history, typically in some form of judgment and or deliverance for the people of God. And in this case, putting it all together with the other passages found in the Bible, it seems that the day of the Lord describes a culmination, a culmination of end-time events, including the judgment associated with the tribulation period, the second coming of Christ, God's final judgment by fire, as mentioned here, and even the blessings of salvation, which follow final judgment. So for our purpose, I believe the day of the Lord is not one single future event, but it's actually a culmination of future events. And actually, we find a few of them in chapter 3. Go back to verse 4. Peter mentions the promise of his second coming, referring to the second coming of Christ. His physical return to the earth. That's one event. Then go down to verse 7, where Peter speaks about judgment of the earth by fire. He's referring to something that happens at final judgment, which is a separate in-time event that occurs 1,000 years after the second coming of Christ. If you recall from our study in Revelation, when Jesus returns, he will set up his promised earthly kingdom. It's called the Millennial Kingdom, which lasts for 1,000 years. And shortly afterwards, then comes final judgment. Now, if we jump ahead to verse 13, Peter makes mention of new heavens and a new earth. And at the very end of it all, the crescendo, if you will, God creates new heavens and a new earth where we will finally be as followers of Christ. So in chapter 3, we see these references to several end-time events related to the day of the Lord. And it's only partial because Peter doesn't include the rapture of the church and the seven years of tribulation. It is my personal belief, it is my personal opinion, that the rapture is the next event on God's timetable. And it could happen at any time. And it's a precursor to God's judgment upon the earth. Listen to what Paul had to say in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, beginning with verse 15. 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 15. He says, For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. 
For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Paul was speaking about the rapture of the church. That's what caught up means. Rapture. Where Christ meets us in the air. But Paul continues with his train of thought in chapter 5, beginning with verse 1. And just so you know, I'm going to toss this out here really quick. When I say like chapter 5, verse 1, that's not in, that's not scripture. Did you know that? You're not going to find the chapter divisions and the numbers in, in the original language. That's, that's for us to use to find passages and references. Okay? Make sure you understand that. So he continues his train of thought. Chapter 5, verse 1. He says, Now as to the times and the epochs, brethren, you have no need of anything to be written to you. For you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. While they are saying peace and safety, then destruction will come upon them suddenly like labor pains upon a woman with child. And they will not escape. So after Paul speaks about the rapture of the church, he follows by referring to the day of the Lord, the beginning of judgment experienced by those who were left behind during the tribulation period, which oddly enough begins with false peace. To the unbelieving inhabitants of the earth, the tribulation period begins with Peace and safety. But later, like a thief in the night, as God's judgment progresses, destruction will suddenly and unexpectedly overtake them. Okay. So before we get too distracted, <laughs> let's get back to 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10 where Peter speaks about the final judgment. And he says the elements will be destroyed with intense heat and the earth and its works will be burned up. That word destroyed carries the idea of something being broken down into its basic elements. And it seems to describe a condition where the molecular bonds that hold everything together will be loosed so that the whole universe will be separated into its smallest components. In other words, the earth will be disintegrated, dissolved with intense heat. Everything will be wiped clear to make way for something entirely new. Now that's a lot to take in, isn't it? However, and however you may 
you may view the end times or the sequence of events that will occur. And there are many different views out there by some really smart people. The bottom line is this, and please don't miss this. The day of the Lord is coming. Judgment is coming. People can mock the truth and they can scoff at it just like they did in Noah's day. But mark it down. Jesus will physically return just as he said he would. There will be final judgment where the books are opened and the lost will be judged for every thought, every motive, and every action of every moment for their entire life. That's a scary thought. And lastly, there will be new heavens and a new earth. That is very real. And just as real is the lake of fire for those who have rejected Christ. So since we have been given this insider information about the future, how should that impact our lives today? That's the question. Let's look at verses 11 through 13. Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning and the elements will melt with intense heat? But according to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. In light of the fact that this world and everything connected to it will be dissolved, Peter says, what sort of people are we to be? Pointing out that our character should be a reflection of what we believe. And what we believe should be expressed in, in, in holy and godly character. Or as Peter says, in holy conduct and godliness. Holy conduct speaks to the way we live our lives in this world. Our conduct, our behavior is to be different from those who live according to the ways of this world and are attached to this world. A world we know will not last. Our character is to be different from the unbelievers around us. Now, godliness literally means to worship well. And it describes a person whose heart is devoted to pleasing God. So, again, the question, what sort of people are we to be? We are to be the kind of people whose behavior and attitudes are characterized as being one who follows Christ. 
who is Christ-like, where others see Jesus in their lives. Peter continues and tells us that we should be looking with expectation and hastening the coming of the day of God, meaning our looking and our waiting is not passive in nature. Instead, we are to be actively cooperating with God and contributing to his kingdom because how we live down here today speaks volumes as to whether or not we are really looking for our Lord, looking at his promises, and looking to our future. And speaking of looking, Peter also tells us to be looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. The Apostle John describes what he saw in Revelation chapter 21, verse 1 through 4. We've been through this before, the same passage in our study of Revelation. Anyway, he said, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Now, when he refers to heaven here, he's speaking about the cosmos, the atmosphere, okay? So, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there is no longer any sea. Don't know why, he didn't tell us. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. That's literally heaven on earth, isn't it? That's heaven on earth. A new earth where God will personally dwell with his people. I personally believe it's the garden all over again without the fall without the fall. And as followers of Christ, this will be our final home for all eternity. A new heaven and a new earth. Randy Alcorn, in his book called Heaven, says the following. Imagine someone takes you to a party. You see a few friends there. Enjoy a a couple of good conversations, a little laughter, and some decent appetizers. The party's all right, but you keep hoping it will get better. Give it another hour, and maybe it will. Suddenly, your friend says, I need to take you home. What now? You're disappointed. Nobody wants to leave a party early. But you leave, 
and your friend drops you off at your house. As you approach the door, you're feeling all alone and sorry for yourself. As you open the door and reach for the light switch, you sense someone's there. Your heart is in your throat. You flip on the light. Surprise! Your house is full of smiling people, familiar faces. It's a party for you. You smell your favorites, barbecued ribs and pecan pie right out of the oven. The tables are full. It's a feast. You recognize the guests, people you have not seen for a long time. Then one by one, the people you most enjoyed at the other party show up at your house grinning. This turns out to be the real party. You realize that if you had stayed longer at the other party as you wanted, you wouldn't be at the real party. You'd be away from it. Christians faced with a terminal illness or imminent death often feel they're leaving the party before it's over. They have to go home early. They're disappointed thinking of all they'll miss when they leave. But the truth is, the real party is underway at home, precisely where they're going. They're not the ones missing the party. Those of us left behind are. This world as we know it will be dissolved by fire. But God is going to create new heavens and a new earth where those who are righteous in Christ only because of the completed work of Christ will dwell there with God. As followers of Christ, we should in a sense have one eye looking to our future and the other eye looking to the here and now, looking for opportunities to love and serve one another. I like how Joseph Stowell explains it. He said, when we begin to believe the reality of the other side, we start behaving differently on this side. Let me repeat that. When we begin to believe the reality of the other side, we start behaving differently on this side. That is so true. What one is looking for should have a direct relationship to what what one is living for. And in a nutshell, that's what Peter tells us next. Look at verses 14 through 16. 14 through 16. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless. And regard the patience 
of our Lord as salvation. Just as also our brother, beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given him, wrote to you. As also in his letters, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to understand, which the untaught and unstable distort. As they do also the rest of the scriptures to their own destruction. So in light of the coming day of the Lord, in light of the anticipation of new heavens and a new earth, in light of our future, Peter gives us a command to be diligent today. That word diligent means to be zealous or to take great pains at accomplishing something. And in this case, Peter says we are to be diligent to be found by God in peace, spotless and blameless. Followers of Christ should look to the coming day of the Lord with all seriousness, but also with peace. Without any fear or panic about the future judgment to come. And with this peace, we should be determined to live our lives today in righteousness. In Christ, and only because of Christ, we are considered spotless and blameless. That is who we are in Christ. And because we are spotless and blameless in Christ, we need to be diligent to act like it. We need to act like who we are. If you knew Jesus was coming next week, would you be at peace? If you knew he was coming next week, would you be at peace about it? Would you live your life differently if you knew he was coming next week? I think that is what Peter is getting at here. Knowing what we know about the future, how should that impact our lives today? That's what he's asking. Knowing what we know about the future, how should that impact our lives today? Now, once again, Peter returns to the reason that the Lord has not yet returned. God is patient, so people will come to repentance and salvation, something Paul also wrote about. For they are united in this teaching, even though Peter said that some of Paul's teaching was hard to understand. Amen to that. Some Bible truths are difficult to understand, apparently even for Peter. And that's okay. In fact, it's even encouraging to some degree. But in the wrong hands, hard passages that are unclear can be easily twisted and distorted and can have a disastrous impact. An art enthusiast displayed on the walls of his office a collection of etchings 
including one of the Leaning Tower of Pisa. Every morning, he noticed it was crooked, so he straightened it up. Finally, one evening, he asked the cleaning lady if she was responsible for moving the picture each night. Why, yes, she said. I have to hang it crooked to make the tower straight. In a similar way, the false teachers in Peter's day, and some people even today, have a habit of twisting Scripture to make their imperfect lives look better or to justify their own moral standards. The false teachers, with Scripture in hand, twist and distort a passage until it says what they want it to say. Distorting the Word of God to fit our own ideas and to support our own agenda is very, very dangerous. Peter warned his readers about the kind of people who do this, who approach God's Word with a self-serving motive, who disrespect its authority and who distort its message. They will incur God's judgment. For you and me, I want to say this. Just listen. We must align ourselves with God's word. Never God's word with ourselves. That make sense? We must align our lives align ourselves, align our standards, align our morals with God's word. Never God's word with ourselves. Hopefully that was clear. Okay. Let's look at the last two verses. You therefore, beloved... Knowing this beforehand, be on your guard, so that you are not carried away by the error of unprincipled men and fall from your own steadfastness. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. These are the final words of Peter, where he looks back over what he has been saying. And he forewarns fellow believers to beware of the false teachers and their heresies. For if they buy into it, they will become unstable, stumbling backwards in their doctrine stumbling backwards in their convictions, in their confidence, and in their spiritual growth. Because we have been forewarned that false teachers carry Bibles, okay, we must be on our guard. In essence, Peter says, don't fall for them. You know they are among you. Now it is your responsibility to watch and to guard yourselves against their lies. You have been forewarned and forearmed 
So there is no reason to be tripped up and swept up off your feet. You have been grounded in the Word of God, so stay there. Stay in the Word of God. Now on a positive note, Peter concludes his letter with the words, But grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Grace is not merely the way God draws us to Himself for salvation, but it's also the way we live. We live by grace. And it's also how we grow. We grow in grace. And we all have room for growth. By grace, Peter encourages us to keep on growing. For the Christian life is a continual growing life. A life that was never intended to be stagnant. And that growth finds its focus in an increasing knowledge and understanding of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who is worthy to be praised. A young lady busied busied herself getting ready for a blind date. This was not just dinner and a movie. Her date had planned dinner at an exclusive downtown restaurant with live music and dancing. Wanting to make a good first impression, she had taken the day off work. She cleaned her apartment. She went out that afternoon to have her hair done and get a manicure. When she got home, she did her makeup, put on her best dress, and was ready for her date's arrival. His expected arrival came and went, but she continued to wait patiently. Finally, after waiting over an hour, she decided she had been stood up. So she took off her dress, let down her hair, put on her pajamas, gathered all her favorite junk food, and sat down to watch TV with her dog. Sometime later, there was a knock at the door. It was her date. He looked at her surprised and said, What? I gave you an extra two hours, and you're still not ready? I wasn't sure what to think of that. (laughs) But let me just say this. Ready or not, Jesus is coming again for his church. In his own time, because he is patient. We already know this beforehand. He is coming. We have the insider information 
And like this young lady, we don't want to get caught off guard when he comes. I hope he finds you and me doing what we are supposed to be doing. Looking to the future, diligently living a holy and godly life today, all the while growing in grace that comes from knowing Him. Let's pray. Father, I thank You for Your grace. I thank You for salvation by grace. I thank You that we live by grace. I thank You that we grow by grace. I thank you that you've given us the, the insider information, so to speak. We know how it ends. And Father, I pray that with, with this knowledge that you would inspire us to live differently today. That's your desire. That's my hope. That we would live differently today. We'd be a different kind of people. Father, may you be honored in how we live our lives. May you be lifted up in how we live our lives. May you be magnified, pointed out. Help us, Lord God, to live lives that are holy, that are different, but also lives that are devoted to you. May you be honored and glorified in us. Help us to trust you, Father. Thank you for a future. May we honor you today. In Jesus' name, amen. I was watching the news yesterday. It's so depressing, isn't it? A lot of chaos in this world, isn't there? In our nation, in this world, the Middle East particularly, a lot of chaos. But like a, a good Hallmark movie, we always know how it ends, right? Doesn't matter what happens in the movie. We always know how it ends. It's like watching a a rerun of a football game where I know my team wins in the end. I already know the final score. I know how it ends when the buzzer sounds. I know my team wins. And as I watch this football game, my team fumbles. And my team throws an interception. And they're having penalties. They're doing all these things. Making terrible mistakes on the field. But what do I know? I know how it ends. I know we win in the end. That's just kind of how I view the chaos in this world. I'm not making excuses for it. I'm not minimizing it. No. It's there. It's, It's our reality, right? It's there. But I have confidence because I know 
how it ends in the end. I know the future already. So we don't need to be fearful. We don't need to panic. We know how it ends. Does that make sense? I hope the Lord's working in your life. I know He's working in mine. I need to have a life that's fully devoted to God. That's different from everyone else. Different from the ways of the world. Thank God He's doing a work in my life. By grace, He's doing that. He is so good. I look forward to the future. But not to the point that I don't live for today. What I've, I once heard, what, what is it, how does it go? We can be so heavenly minded that we are no earthly good. Right? We, we can't be like that. So while we're here waiting for the future, we need to live in such a way that it honors God. Because he is still in the saving business. He is patient, waiting for people to be saved. And we need to do our part to help with that. To live our lives that are holy and righteous and godly. So however the Lord is working in your heart and your life, I would just pray that you'd respond to him in obedience. Just respond to him. Whether you're looking for a church home, whether you don't know Christ, whether you have a, a, something you're dealing with, just respond to him. Give it to him. He is gracious. He loves you. He desires the best for you. Just respond to him in obedience. Let's, uh, let's pray this morning. Pray for our offering. And also pray for, we'll pray for our food as well, uh, for our fellowship. Heavenly Father, I thank you for bringing us here this morning. Thank you, Lord God, for your word. Thank you, God, Lord God, for your grace and for your patience with us, for your mercy, Lord, to us. You're so good. You're so good. Help us, Father, to trust you. Help us to obey you in all things, Lord. Father, I, I pray for our, our, our offering this morning. Heavenly Father, I pray that you'd, you'd help us to give from a cheerful heart. And Lord God, I also pray as a church you would help us to use your money wisely. And Father, for our fellowship, Father, I pray that it would be a sweet fellowship. Uh, bless the food. Bless those who've, who've made it and prepared it for us, Lord God. And Lord, just thank you so much for this, uh, this great Sunday. May you be honored and glorified in all that we do. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.